What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Au contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, recording after the Patriots go down once again, this time to the Colts in Germany. Really an eyesore of a football game. Just really a bad product of football. At least they got to see over in Germany last week the Chiefs and the Dolphins. This game was just... Oh, man, I was actually worried briefly there that Gardner Minshew was going to allow the Patriots to actually win this football game because he was bad as well, but just a bad game overall. Okay, so a lot to get into. I will get into the Celts as well because they win back-to-back games on Friday and Saturday, but three-time Super Bowl champ James White will join us. He joins us as part of our FanDuel TV show as well, The Local Angle, which comes your way every Monday at 9 a.m. on FanDuel. So you'll hear that first, and then I'll chat with James for a little bit. We'll get Jamie in. We'll get his reaction to the game. And as I said, we'll get into some Celtics as well. But first up, James White. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now as he does each and every week, it is three-time Super Bowl champ, James White. Well, James, let me start with this. You and I have had conversations multiple times this year about, hey, is this rock bottom for the Patriots? I guess it essentially took a trip to Germany for the Patriots to really, really hit rock bottom because we thought it appeared they had already been there. But now you're in a real situation because, and this is a bigger, broader thing that we can get into, I don't know how you can start Mac after the bye week considering that you benched him on the final drive of the game. Where, and look, if you go through the second half of this game, James, and you think about Mac Jones, first of all, you have that third and two where Ramondre is wide open in the flat. You get that ball out quicker, Ramondre is picking up a first down. Who knows? The way that Ramondre is playing in this game, maybe he ends up in the end zone, right? So he misses him there and then... He sort of tries to sneak away and he just like shovels it forward. Somehow it's a complete, uh, it's an incomplete pass and not a sack, which was obviously an issue in this game as well. Then the next possession where you get the interception, right? Or that was the possession before. But anyway, you're deep in Colts territory. He nearly throws an interception on that play in the end zone where I don't know what he was doing. He threw it way over, who was it? Hunter Henry or Gusecki's head in the back of the end zone there. Like that was a bad throw. Then you come back the next possession have an opportunity to take the lead, 
And Mac throws one of the worst interceptions I've seen. Like, we talked about the Howell one last week. This was worse than the Howell interception. I don't know what he was doing. He just, like, it was nowhere close to Henry. That's just one of the worst interceptions you can throw. So, look, for a lot of people that wanted to stay positive about Mac and talk about the coaching staff last year, the personnel this year, the lack of receivers, all that stuff is true. But right now, the reality is Mac Jones has just been really bad. And today, Robert Kraft was talking about before the game how important these international games are to him. Obviously, he's big in terms of the NFL ownership, getting games overseas. You saw his reaction on the sideline. You saw Bill O'Brien chewing him out after he didn't get the ball to Ramondre. I just feel like this is where Mac is right now. He's just right now at this particular point in time, he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL, unfortunately. And I'm not saying that means Zappy is. I'm just saying I think we have an answer on Mac right now. I don't think it's going to happen for him with the Patriots. Yeah, Mac definitely hasn't helped himself as far as his performance. Like we keep saying, last year definitely took a huge hit on him. This year's coming trying to trying to prove himself, and I just think all of his confidence has gone away. And simple throws that you know he can typically what he made his rookie season, he's having a hard time completing those. The quarterback position is all about confidence between quarterback position and cornerback. If you don't have confidence, you're not going to go out there and have a good game. You're not going to be able to hit those open receivers, your offensive line. And I think that's a big part of it as well. Once, you know, all year long, he's been facing a lot of pressure. You know, they have five sacks this game. And once he gets hit a few times based on, you know, all these games this season, the game starts to shift for him. He doesn't trust what he sees. He, you know, he, I thought, I mean, he did a good job today for the most pass to Gusecki. He's just feeling pressure that's not there. He's fading away. When it's a simple throw, just throw it to them, go up there and get it. It's, it's hard to see because I, I got to play with Mac. I know the talent that he has is not, you know, just the greatest gift, arm strength and all that, but the strength for him is his brain. And right now, I just feel like he doesn't – he's not using it properly at this time. I just think he's in his own head. Obviously, there's a lot of frustration within the organization from ownership to – you know, him himself, Bill Belichick, Bill O'Brien. It's just a spiraling effect when you start losing football games. You start to see more in that for the show from every single person where you just can't get there. The run game was going. They took some of the pressure off him. You know, today they just needed him to make a few throws. And he just couldn't hit him. I think his confidence is gone. I, I still think he's a fully capable quarterback in this league, but sometimes you need a change of scenery, and that maybe was good for him. I don't think he ends up starting the rest of the year. I feel like you know, Zappy, whatever, Malik Cunningham, Will Greer, they're probably end up in the reins for the rest of the season. Then they'll probably decide what they want to do, you know, with Matt going forward with her. They'll let him compete for whoever they bring in next year, free agent, rookie. I said, it's just, it's just been a tough year for him. Tough two years. I feel bad for him because he, you can see he's dejected after that interception. He, like, he knows he can make that throw. He knows the reads to make. It's just, I said, it's, it's tough to watch because I, I know he puts the work in and it hasn't showed. And like I said, Bill O'Brien was was digging into him. Bill was getting into him. And that's that's never a good feeling as a quarterback. Yeah, and I'm with you. Like, I I have no ill will against Mac. I, I don't know him personally or anything along those lines. And I hope that he does well somewhere else for his own sake, right? I mean, because the guy came in with a high pedigree coming from Alabama. Maybe a place like Atlanta, I've mentioned, just because it's a heavy play action scheme with Arthur Smith. They're not going to be bad enough to have a good pick of the draft. So they may not be able to draft a quarterback. Maybe they say, hey, we'll take a shot at a guy like Mac Jones, but you just, you watch these games right now, and I think it's an excellent point you make. He's in his own head. Like, there are throws that are there, and there's pressure that's not there that he thinks there, 
Although I will say this, like, I don't think Bill O'Brien, and I know he's really irritated with Mac today, I don't think he's helped him much. Like, the first two series of the game, Mac gets sacked, right? If you look at it, really, the first five series of the game, he got sacked to end the series, except the one right before half, which, what was that before halftime? They just, like, throw the ball to Douglas? Like, what do you think? He's going to run 80 yards for a touchdown or whatever it was? I don't know what that was. Even Mac, after the game, was asked about it. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, essentially, I don't know what we were doing. I, I have no idea what that was whatsoever. But the third sack of the game, Bill O'Brien's got four verticals. You see, do you, you know who's playing on the offensive line right now? You get the McDermott's of the world. And I know he went out with an injury, but you basically have no, like, Trent Brown's not playing. Riley Reef never played. All these guys are hurt. And you got four verticals after the quarterback was just sacked twice. Like, where are the easy throws for Mac Jones? And I'm not defending Mac. As I said, I believe the Patriots should be drafting a quarterback early on in the draft. I want Drake May. Shador Sanders is going to be there as well. So all these guys are going to be coming out that are good quarterbacks. I want a new quarterback, but Bill O'Brien, man, I don't know what he's done for this team, quite frankly. And I know we can look at it from a personnel perspective, but I don't think that he's done anything to help the group. Like last week, we talked about it. How did Ramondre have nine rushes last week? And we look at him today. I thought Ramondre was outstanding. Bill O'Brien, like, is there a big upgrade for Matt Patricia? If there is, I don't see it. It's this season. The offense hasn't seemed like much of an upgrade switching to Bill O'Brien. I think the running backs have been the strength of this offense. I said it earlier on in the year, Ramondre Stevenson, Ezekiel Elliott, just trying to find a way to get those guys the ball in space or run the football as much as possible because these receivers, they haven't been creating separation. They haven't been making plays you know, with the ball in their hands aside from you know, KB until he got hurt and Pop Douglas. There hasn't been any consistency in the passing game. And the best way to help a young quarterback is to have a run game. He's a guy who excels at play action. If you're able to run the football, then the play action pass, you know, it's able to excel a lot more because the defense has to respect the run. So, yeah, I'm not sure why this offense has no energy, no pop, no juice. It almost seems like these guys don't even believe in you know what they're going out there trying to execute at at times, and it's hard to watch. I'm sure as a fan, as a as a former player, like they like coming to the season, I know everybody questioned the receivers, them not adding a guy like DeAndre Hopkins and all that. I thought. They had enough talent for them to, you know, do enough to win some football games, but it hasn't shown. Yeah, and I think the one thing that, in terms of the receivers that I would look at is, and I know we've come back to this on multiple occasions this season, but Jacoby Myers is having an outstanding season for Las Vegas, and you bring in Juju Smith-Schuster, you've essentially gotten no return on that. If you think about it today, he legitimately had more penalty yards than receiving yards. Right, he had that one nice catch, and that was pretty much it. Other than that, he had an illegal shift, and then he had, I believe, what was he? He was like, uh, I think he had like an illegal, he had two penalties, nonetheless. Yeah. I know he had two <laughs> penalties in this game, so he had more penalty yards than he had receptions, and you give this guy all this money, and you really got no return on that. And the one other thing I would just ask you about, James, is what were they doing on that like all-out punt block. It ended up being like essentially a 70-yard punt for the Colts. And if you're the Patriots, we know you're not explosive offensively. Why like so do you think somebody like somebody got the play wrong like that was relayed into them or did they really think they were going to get a block there because you put your offense in a really bad position and we know this team is offensively challenged. I think they're just fully committed to trying steal a possession, try and shorten the field for the offense. They're trying to find any way to give this offense a short field. And even still, when they get in the red zone, they really struggle to score points. They can't punch it in. You know, the, 
The best play they had in the red zone was the screen pass to Zeke where he stepped on offensive lineman's heels. If he didn't step on his heels, he would have scored. That would have been a, a huge play in the game. But, you know, when they get in the red zone, there's – I mean, they had to play to, you know, possibly the Hunter Henry, possibly the Gusecki, which would have been huge plays in the game. But that one, I feel like they would have been able to score on that play. That would have been huge because this offense cannot get it figured out. Ever since last year, they can't get it figured out in the red zone. I, I just don't know why. You don't have a – they don't necessarily have a go-to guy. I know, like, when we were playing – we had a few guys like myself. We had Gronk. You had Julian. You had Danny Amendola. Guys that were really good in those situations. Like Ramondre is really good in those situations. Hunter has been. Gasecki, big target. You know, just trying. You know, find plays to get those guys the ball, which I think Bill O'Brien did do. Matt just didn't hit him today. No doubt about it. And it doesn't help when your quarterback's playing poorly, your offensive line is injured and hasn't been good, and you have no weapons. And the offensive coordinator has been underwhelming. Not a lot going well right now for this Patriots offense. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Still with us, three-time Super Bowl champ James White. Of course, you just heard our FanDuel TV portion of the podcast. So just an aggravating game all the way around, James, for this Patriots team. And you do sort of look at the rest of the season and you say, okay, you have a bye week coming up. And that's where we were talking about this earlier with Bailey Zappi most likely taking over from Mac Jones, but now it's almost as if the Patriots, and I know this is weird like to say to a former NFL player that won three Super Bowls and most of your teams were competitive outside of like the one difficult year where you guys in 2020, like outside of that, you're basically in the playoffs most of your career except that season, right? But it almost feels like from an organizational perspective, and they may not have to try because remember, Zappi was so bad in the preseason and in training camp. And he, if he actually had a decent training camp or a decent preseason, he would have already been the quarterback, right? Because Mac has not played well for the majority of the season. But getting back to my big point here, it's almost better for this team to lose games because as we said, it doesn't feel like Mac Jones is the next great Patriots quarterback. So that means from my perspective, you got to start that cycle over of the rookie quarterback contract, if you will. And right now, the Patriots entered the day, and we'll see, we're recording early, which I guess is the good thing about today, is we're recording after a 9.30 a.m. football game. That's the good thing. We, we can watch good football the rest of the day, James. We don't have to go through the Patriots and like not watch the 4 o'clock window. We get to go watch great football all day long. But my point with that is they entered the day with the fourth pick. Arizona, like, who knows? Maybe they win a couple of games with Kyler Murray. Like, you really they, easily they, could they see could this beam. team getting into the top three. And at that point, you're going to have to take a quarterback if you're the Patriots. How could you not, especially considering Caleb Williams, Drake May, Shador Sanders. And I know like this whole thing about him not coming out. I think he's going to come out, especially if you're a top 10 pick, although he is making a ton of money at the collegiate level. I said the other day on here, James, where I could see the connection because Brady's friends with Dion. Brady worked out Shador Sanders. I could see that connection. But it does really feel like Giants, that's a winnable game. We'll see where the Chargers are at like later on in the season, but... I would be shocked if they get outside of the top five, which means I think the most likely scenario for the Patriots in 2024 is they have a rookie quarterback again. Yeah, I mean, everything's going to be evaluated. I think they have to evaluate Zappi. I mean, he did a decent job last year, struggled during the preseason. You know, let him start the next couple of games, see what you get from him. If he doesn't perform well, you know, Will Greer, Malik Cunningham, see what you have on the table because obviously everybody's going to assume they're going to draft no quarterback in the first round to replace Mac or, you know, have Mac be the backup or whatever they decide to do with Mac. The quarterback position, if you don't have a guy, you know, who's, you know, helping you out to help you win football games, it's tough to win a bunch of football games in this league. And the schedule definitely doesn't get easier going forward. 
The Giants is a winnable game. Steelers is probably a winnable game because they don't score many points on offense as well. Other than that, there's some some tough matchups to finish off the season. But you're going to see a lot of younger guys start to play, in my opinion. I think this is where you put those young guys who haven't got a bunch of snaps so far this season, put them in some situations where, you know, they probably wouldn't have played if this team was you know, fighting to be in a playoff spot. So you can really evaluate them on in-game situations. You know, you get Booty out there a little bit more. You get the Mapu out there a little bit more just to see how they react in game-like situations. Like I said, nobody – Nobody's roster spot is guaranteed, no matter what your contract is and all that. When you lose everything, you're losing like the way they are right now. Everything's on the table, and they're just, you know, from ownership coaches, they're just trying to find who they think can help them win football games next season. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I like the fact that Booty got out there today. He did get hit hard on one of those plays, but it's nice yeah. to see him out there. Demario Douglas is getting his opportunities. That's really what the rest of the season is about. See, like, who is part of the future with this Patriots organization. So I'm all for that. The bigger picture question I'd have too, just as it pertains to Bill, because now for like the first time ever, there's been legit questions. Is Bill going to be back? Is Bill on the hot seat? But as somebody that played for Bill when you guys were playing at the highest level and you guys were playing in the biggest games, like it was the Patriots Invitational, the AFC Championship, basically for a decade. I mean, you guys were in there every single year. You could just, until 2019, basically that whole decade, you guys were in the AFC Championship game. So I do wonder if Bill would want to come back. Like, let's say the hypothetical is Robert wants to come back. Now, we don't know if that's the case or not, but let's go with that first. So if the Patriots want to have Bill back, they have a top five pick in the draft. Do you think Bill would want to do this because he's been going through, it seems like a rebuild for the past two years. Or do you think that like there was a report from Diana Rossini from The Athletic that her bet would be, the basically uh, let me get this right so I don't like misquote her she said in talking to those who have spent time around the Patriots organization and understand the dynamics between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick I don't expect anything to be determined with so much remaining in the season I don't think they'd fire him during the season either but she says but if people I talked to had to bet on it their money is on a mutual parting of the ways at the end of the season so the way that I read that I just don't think that Bill is going to go out this way where it's back-to-back losing seasons. It's, what, three out of four seasons without Tom where he had a losing season. But maybe he doesn't want to do it here anymore. Maybe he wants to go somewhere else, one of these other jobs that opens up. So do you think that Bill would want to come back based on sort of the state of the organization right now? I think Bill would want to come back. It's hard going to a completely new organization, dealing with a bunch of new coaching staff, new ownership, Things aren't going to be ran the exact same way. He has so much established already in this Patriots organization, some players who have been playing there for a long time that can help, you know, try and, you know, still instill the culture that's been set in place for, you know, 20 plus years. If you go somewhere else, you don't know how, you know, players are going to react to, you know, his coaching style or what he's trying to get accomplished. At the same time, I said, we're not, we're not in those conversations. That's a, you know, a different (laughs) pay grade to have him. Those conversations between, you know, Bill and Robert Crabb, I'm sure they're going to have a I mean, they've already had conversations, I'm sure, about what they want to see from this team going forward as far as the quarterback and the team as a whole. I just I can see Bill being back on the team, you know, coaching the team next season and them drafting a quarterback. I mean, who knows what they he'll decide to do. We, so we haven't seen them in this position in such a long time. And Bill's typically a guy who likes to, you know, add more picks so they can have the number five pick. He can create three more picks out of that oh, and trade boy, back. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure people probably pissed off at that, but you never know what he'll decide to do. 
I just see him as the football coach next season. But like I said they they continue to lose. You can see the frustration on Robert Kraft's face during the game more than you've ever seen before because like I said they're not used to losing. He wants to win no matter the situation. Bill wants to win no matter the situation. You can see his frustration too you know, on that on that fake spike. It's like what are we doing? It's oh. it's just tough. Like I said, it's what was that when you lose? Yeah, the the whole like process on the offense was just they're moving the ball really slow. It just seems like no sense of urgency whatsoever when they're in these two-minute situations. Like, they, they get the first down. Like, even if, you know, it was a Ziku carrying the ball, even if he didn't, or Ramondre, even if he didn't get the first down, you guys should be hurrying to the ball trying to, yeah. you know, get a playoff. They're just, you know, kind of taking their time. Bailey just, like, doing whatever his signal is for the fake spike. Just, like, no sense of urgency there. And then, you know, gets on the ball and just fires it. You know, in the middle of the field into a team meeting where he could have just threw it to Gaseki on the sideline, get like five or ten yards, just throw it away. But like I said, it's a, a tough position for him. You know, right. <laughs> get thrown into the game, you know, final possession, no timeouts. I mean, your mind's probably all over the place. It's it's a hard position to be in as a backup quarterback. Yeah, Zappi said after the game that he was asked about that play <laughs> and he said, I can't say what I want to say. I'm sure that's going to go over <laughs> well. Zap Zap has been saying some slick stuff over these last two years. He, he's like he want he wants to he wants to really get something off his chest. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure eventually it, it'll come out at some point. But yeah, he's he's holding back. I know. I kind of <laughs> like it, man. Like usually you don't hear that from Patriots players. He's kind of like throwing. Yeah, yeah. He's like he caught himself. He's like I don't want to say I, I don't want to say what I should say or I want to say, but I, I can't say it right now. He's like, all right. Well, I guess we'll find about that down the road. He did say after the game though. When he was asked, "Do you think you can be the starter?" He said, "One hundred percent." I mean, it, I don't think any. Pay- yeah, you gotta say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagine if he was like, "Yeah, I think I'm like, you know, 50-50. <laughs> I think I can do it." But yeah, I, so I mean, look, yeah, that, maybe he gets back on good. track after. I mean, he was decent. I'm like, the game plans were easy last year when he played, right? But yeah. I mean, this year, obviously, when he's played in limited action, he hasn't really shown much. So I guess we'll see what he can do down the stretch of the season. The other thing is this, just in terms of. The reason I don't think it makes sense if you were going to move, if Kraft wanted to move on from Bill, I just don't think that puts Gerard Mayo, if he is the next head coach of the Patriots, I just don't think that puts him in a good position, right? Because he wants to install his own program that is, and look, obviously when Gerard Mayo is a head coach, he's going to take a lot of what Bill Belichick did. Obviously he learned under him and he coached on his staff for multiple years. But I think you would want to have a fresh start to the season, right? Not come in in the middle of the year and coach this team that right now is two and seven. Like if Gerard Mayo is the next Patriots coach and obviously they can't say anything, they can't reveal anything, but if they already plan, like this is a, the succession plan after Gerard Mayo was up for coaching jobs and then just stopped interviewing. I don't think this is how you want to take over the team and sort of like the interim role. I think you want to, because you want to come in like with your message to the team, what this team's going to be like. And you really can't do that if you start the season two and seven and you take over, right? Yeah, I don't think they would fire Bill during the season. If anything, I said, they'll let him finish the season. Now they'll have a conversation. Probably won't even be necessarily a, a firing. Like you said, it'd be like a mutual agreement. And even if it is, you know, Mayo, I've, I've seen people talking about, you know, trading for Mike Vrabel, all types of stuff. There's a lot of, a lot of rumors out there, which I mean, that's not a, a awful decision if they try and do something like that. Vrabel's a heck of a coach. I think Mayo will be a heck of a coach when he gets, whenever he does get his opportunity I think if Mayo steps in, he's 
he's a personal dude. He's he's a fired up dude. He knows ball. So he knows how to you know, interact with this younger generation. There's some different different cats being in the locker room now. It's a different day and age. But like I said he knows how to adapt to that. And I said at the same time, I, said, I still can't see it. I mean, I guess I'm probably lost in the smoke here. Just hard to see, you know, Bill Belichick not being the head coach for the New England Patriots and him not, you know, retiring, you know, on his own terms. But like at the same time, when you're losing football games, everything is thrown on the table. As an owner, you want to see your team win and you're going to do whatever you think is or whatever you feel is best to help this team move forward. Yeah, and I think the other thing, and I get it, this is Bill's basically his worst season as a Patriots head coach. So I get it where people want to move on from Bill. And if Robert Kraft wanted to do that after the season, I could understand the idea of it. If you want to get more innovative offensively and all that different type of stuff, I would understand moving on from Bill, especially after the fact that Robert basically backed Bill and not Tom, right? I mean... And they can say Tom wanted to leave, but Tom didn't get the Drew Brees contract. <laughs> he didn't give him the Drew Brees contract. He gave him all these incentives after you took, remember in 2017, he threw for 500 yards. He was the MVP of the NFL. And then basically they made him have $1 million in like five different categories, like passer rating, passer yards. He had to be top five in all these categories. But you know what they did? Brandon Cooks wasn't on the team anymore, right? He was the deep threat. So in 2018, you guys, especially towards the end of the season, morphed into a more run heavy team. And so Tom didn't hit those numbers. And then he got the fake void years in the contract, right? And then he didn't get the Drew Brees contract. And eventually Tom left. And it's and Robert said he called up Stephen A. Smith and he said, hey, if Tom wanted to be here, he would be here. Well, that's not really true. If, if you guys gave Tom the deal that he wanted, he would be here. Be Tom never problem. wanted to leave, but basically <laughs> he was pushed out. So Robert, essentially, if you think about it, he sided with the longevity of Bill. And it couldn't have gone worse, right? Because the Patriots as an organization, have been significantly worse since Tom left. And Tom won this thing called the Super Bowl when he left the organization, right? So I could understand the idea of moving on from Bill when it comes to that because his bet on Bill has not been proven correct yet. But here's the problem. How attractive will this job be if you don't have, like, a top five pick, right? Like, if Mayo's already your guy, that's fine. And if he wants to be the coach, that's great. But if you move on from Bill and then you look at it and you say, well, okay, well, we don't have a lot of weapons. We don't have a really good offensive line right now. We have a good running back. We have some promising defensive players, the Christian Gonzalez's of the world, et cetera. But from a talent perspective, this isn't a really talented team. So you better be right about your next head coach, right? Like it's one thing when you do this, when you have a pretty talented team, but right now you don't. So if you do move on from Bill Belichick, you better have your answer correct here. And that coach or whoever the GM is too, like they have to have the ability to like I would not take this and look obviously I'll never be an NFL head coach but if I was ever going to take a job <laughs> I would only take this job knowing I'm getting like Drake May or Caleb Williams one of those guys that's the only way I do it yeah the grass isn't always greener either I know everybody wants to see Bill Belichick go you never know like I said if they they hire Mayo if they hire somebody else you know how things will eventually turn out then you know a few years down the road people be like man we should probably should have never fired Bill Belichick so you got to be smart, you know, really think through the whole process. And if you do decide to go a different direction, make sure this person, you know, understands what, you know, the crafts want to see as far as helping this franchise get back to, you know, where they want to be. And I think, I think it will be a sort of an attractive job. If anybody has a, a top five, like you said, if you have a top yeah. five pick, I think that's attractive for, you know, any head coach or any coaching staff to be able to, you know, select, you know, their quarterback for the future, you know, 
some more talent at the top of the second, third round, whatever it may be to help build your roster the way you want it to. So like I said, there's a lot to be evaluated. We'll see how this these last several weeks of the season finish out. You know, whether you know Zappy performs well, whether Matt gets another opportunity, whether Will Greer gets another opportunity. So there's still a lot to be evaluated. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do long term. But as somebody that I mean, you watch college football each and every week. Are you as like all in on Drake May as me? I like Shador Sanders too. I think he's a really good player. Super accurate. Obviously, pretty athletic guy too. Not to the same like athleticism yeah. level as like some of these modern quarterbacks like the, you know, the the Josh Allens of the world, the Lamar yeah. Jacks. Not that level of athleticism, but can definitely buy time in the pocket. I love Drake May. Like he can make all these crazy throws, the off-platform stuff. And he's just got a cannon, man. Like, he's got an absolute yeah, cannon. Yeah. So I don't think they'll get the number one pick. That's why I don't bring up Caleb Williams. No. But are you in on both those guys? Do you like May? Do you like Sanders? Do you have a prep? I mean, May right now appears he's going to be the number two guy. You like those two guys? Or is there anybody else that you would prefer in the first round? I, I like those two guys. May almost reminds me, I hate comparing guys, but like a Justin Herbert, you know, they have the size, they have the arm talent, they can throw off schedule, throw on schedule have everything you need, have the height as well. I like Shador as well. He He's shown a lot this season with a, <laughs> the the worst offensive line in college football, you know, trying to create plays. And his accuracy, his decision-making has been really good. I love Michael Penix, too. And seeing lefty quarterbacks, it almost seems awkward, but he's he's been balling these last couple of years. He's, like you said, he's, he's athletic. He can throw off schedule. You know, he can throw the ball deep, short. And I like, I like Bo Nix, too. I mean, I know he's like, a six or seven year veteran in the game in college, but he's he's improved tremendously as a quarterback ever since he left Auburn. His decision making is better. The accuracy's there. I think he's leading all of college football in completion percentage. So that's that's really impressive. Then their team looks really good. So there's there's a lot of guys that you can evaluate at the quarterback position. Like you might not even necessarily I know everybody wants to draft a guy, you know, top five, but I said if two guys are taken like Caleb Williams, Drake May before they get their pick. I think you can find a guy at the back back into the first or early second that can help you win football games. Yeah, Penix is an interesting one to me. I don't understand why he's not getting, uh, obviously not to the Drake May, Caleb Williams hype, but I don't know why he's not getting as much hype as some of these other guys because he's probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. I was listening to the broadcast yesterday. They were talking about he has like massive hands, which helps him like spin the ball more. The throws <laughs> he makes are easy. And the other thing yeah. I'd say too is just like the... I, I understand, like, the uh, I I don't know what the knock is because he throws a really good deep ball. He can throw the ball outside the numbers, has really good velocity. He's a good athlete, too. So I don't really understand the knock on Penix. I, I would be happy with him, too, if it's later on in the first round. So I don't really know what the critique of him is. Do you do you know what it like what the knock on him is? Like, I, I like some of the other guys you can look through and understand what some of the knocks are. But I, I don't understand yeah. what Penix is like. Criticism. Is it because he's older and he went to Indiana and he's it, maybe I don't know. I mean, probably. I don't know. The evaluation process, I still have no idea what goes into all this, why some guys are ranked, you know, above others. I know he probably doesn't, I don't know, jump off the charts like maybe a Drake May or or Caleb Williams, but he does all things the right way. You know, transferred from Indiana to Washington and has gotten better every single year, has put Washington on a a national stage into an offensive juggernaut. So I I don't see why he's not in the same, you know, conversation as those guys, maybe because he's a little bit older. I don't know, but quarterback, I don't think being old really makes a difference. I think it almost helps you. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, it's not like it's quarterback, too, right? It's not like 
You have you have a lot of time. We're seeing quarterbacks like <laughs> yeah. I know Aaron Rodgers just got hurt, but he was playing into what his forty year old season, and he still played. He won MVP yeah. two years ago. Tom Brady last year was still pretty good. The year before, he easily could have been the MVP of the league. And I get not everybody works that way, but we're seeing these guys are aging much better. Like, does anybody not think that Mahomes has like another eight years or so? So these guys, <laughs> I feel like the modern quarterback is going to play until like his at least his mid thirties. That's how I feel. Yeah, at the very least, these. These quarterbacks, and especially with the way the game is trending, they're protecting these quarterbacks. They don't get hit as much. So these guys can play 20 years, you know, whatever, 15 plus years very easily as long as they protect themselves, as long as they go out there and perform well. All right, James. And before I let you go, did you see, were there any signs of Connor Stallions around college football this week? Did you see him at all? <laughs> I'm sure he's probably still in attendance. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I said, Michigan made it. They made a statement out there. They, Ran the ball the entire second half. I've been waiting to see if they could run the football that way because that was their identity last year. And they're, they're definitely an impressive football team. But, I mean, it doesn't matter if he wasn't on the sidelines. I mean, they already have all the signals, yeah, right? So they're, they're good. So they don't, they don't need them. Hey, how about that Michigan coach after the game, the interim head coach? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dropped a few F-bombs and all that. It was, he was emotional. But, hey, they said they got to, you know, create their own motivation, you know, them against the world and all that when – I said, you guys cost us on yourselves. We didn't, nobody created this. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that was something. I was like, I was watching one of those games. With, I was watching the Michigan game with my brother. I'm like, okay, we got to make sure we have the volume up. Because I thought somebody from Michigan was going to like say something crazy just because all this stuff going on with the NCAA. Like, you know, fuck the NCAA or fuck the Big Ten. Like all this, you hate us. Like yeah. I thought somebody was going to do that. And then this guy comes up and he's just like crying. I love you, Jim Harbaugh. Like all this stuff. I'm like, this is epic. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Yes, it sounded like we were at a wake or something. Like he's going to be back when you guys make it to you know the college football playoff. He's, he's yeah. not, and you're going to see him on on Monday or whatever the next day when you get back. It's not like the stupidest penalty. He can coach the team during the week. I don't even understand what the penalty is. That's all that matters. Yeah, it's like I mean, he's, he's putting the game plan in. Like, and you know what was so embarrassing for Penn State in that game? Michigan didn't run after halftime. I mean, didn't throw after halftime. They Bro, just ran the entire yes. second half. They threw there was like seventeen yeah. total passes in the game. That, and that's tough. And Penn State had the number one rush defense in the nation, so until they didn't necessarily fear that. So I said, I thought Penn State's defense did enough to win that football game. Their Drew Aller just didn't do enough. Their passing game has to be so much better. If they're ever gonna take that next step to beat Michigan and Ohio State, their offense has to show up. Yeah. And James Franklin, man. Well, you win a big game one time. It's it's, it's tough. I mean, most Big Ten schools haven't beat yeah, you know, Michigan true. and Ohio State in a long time. So, I mean, they, they've they come close, obviously. And like I said, they're supposed to be that team that's supposed to take that next. I mean, just can't figure it out. It seems like, yeah, he becomes a little bit of a shell of himself when he goes up against them. The two-point conversions and all that, when he should just kick the extra point. That definitely came back to backfire on him. All right, that is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. Hey, James, enjoy football the rest of the day, man. You don't have to worry about the Patriots. The game's <laughs> over. <laughs> hey man losing right now is, is probably better than winning for the pages get a higher draft pick so they're all right <laughs> no, no doubt about that <laughs> cash in on balling out this nba season with FanDuel, america's number one sports book right now new customers get 150 dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar money line bet that's 150 bucks if your team wins so i'm looking at this celtics knicks game coming up on Monday night. I like Tatum for 25. That's an alternate line. Jalen for 20 points, alternate line. Drew Holiday, four assists. Celtics on the money line, so you can parlay 
All those together. So Tatum 25, Jalen 20 alternate lines, Drew Holiday alternate four assists, Celtics on the money line. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same game parlays, the parlay hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there, as always, from James White. Always enjoy chatting with James after these games, even though this one was certainly a difficult one for the Patriots as they go down to the Colts. Although, as James was saying, (laughs) they need to be losing football games. So I like that. All right. Let's bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, uh, not the most fun game to watch, but I think no. the result is what we as Patriots fans are looking for at this particular point in time. I'm done with watching Mac Jones plays football, and it appears that after yanking Mac Jones on the final series of the game, Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien have lost faith in Mac Jones as well, if they already hadn't lost faith in Mac Jones. But it feels like the Patriots are done playing Mac Jones. I would be shocked, as I was mentioning earlier, if he's the quarterback of the team when they play the Giants in two weeks. And who knows what you're going to get from Zappi, although he appears to be extremely confident in his skill set. Well, they couldn't overtake Mac at any point until now this season. But I don't know, man. I was a little bit worried that Gardner Minshew was going to help the Patriots win this game. Good news now is, though, that the Patriots are in prime position to get one of these Mm. elite quarterbacks. I mean, that's the win in all this, right? We'll go through the pain for the win. Totally. Like you said, it was it was getting dicey there with the Colts. They looked like they might have handed the game to us, but luckily Mac uh, handed it right back. That's good. But um, <laughs> that, that pick was something, even for Mac Jones' standards. Yeah, but, that, um, was, that was... I, what really was I don't know what he was trying to do. I don't know either. I don't know. It looked like a combination of like a bad decision and also just a, you know, physically just not there. I mean, just classic four footwork, throws off his back foot and... Yeah, that was a mess, and uh, the devito Zappy matchup in two weeks is really going to be something for quarterback standards. Oh, man. <sighs> but I will say, Brian, I tried to at least embrace the tank with some of my picks last week. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Mac, Mac under 223 yards hit, under one and a half touchdowns hit. I should have bet it down to half a touchdown because he didn't have any, of course. And then luckily, it looked like it was going to be dicey with the interception, but... He delivered at the end. So all three hit. And the he minus delivered. three as well. <laughs> he delivered. Inside the red zone, no less. <laughs> he delivered. The uh, the plus 267 anytime touchdown pro lay. We got one half of that. So we didn't yeah. win. We did get the Jonathan Taylor. And here's the aggravating part about that. The Patriots deep in Colts territory. Ramondre has to go off the field. Like he was bothered by something. Right. His back so or something I, like that. I think yeah, so. and the Patriots didn't end up scoring a touchdown there. I mean, they didn't score a touchdown in the freaking game. So, I mean, but I thought that that, was, <laughs> that would have been the opportunity there for Madre to get into the end zone. Unfortunately, doesn't happen for the Patriots. Doesn't happen. Well, I guess fortunately for the Patriots, but unfortunately for me as it pertains to this Ramondre situation, yes. he doesn't get into the end zone. I just, I'm at the point now where we've been, I've been embracing the tank for weeks now, as you know, on this pod. But I really start to think about this from a bigger picture perspective. I can't believe we're here. I guess when I add up all the pieces, I can, right? Like the way that they treated the offensive line in the offseason, where they didn't go after 
these more established guys. They tried right. to get Riley Reef to be something when he hasn't been a good tackle for the past couple of years. And of course, he goes down with an injury anyway, never plays for the Patriots. They try to make guard. That didn't work out in the, in the preseason. He gets injured. The offensive line has been a mess basically all season long. The weapons. We had questions about the weapons coming into the season. That has not been good. We had questions about the quarterback coming into the season. That has not been good. So all these things, when you add them up, it does make sense that you get to this point. I just, I never thought that I would see Bill Belichick coaching the worst team in the AFC and making just these unbelievably bad mistakes, juju two penalties, the punt situation that we were chatting with earlier with um, James. What was that? There was like trying to block the punt and all out rush there. And a punting at 70 yards. So not only did you not yeah, get there, yeah. you're taking over at your 18-yard line for a team that can't move the football. It's unbelievable to me. And your offense is so bad in this game. Just incredibly bad in this game. Like, I started to look through some of it because it felt like the one thing the Patriots haven't done this year, well, there's a lot of things, but the one thing they really <laughs> haven't done, they've been the worst team in the NFL in time of possession, right? Dead last in the NFL, like twenty under 27 minutes. Today, they had the ball for 34 minutes and 25 seconds compared to the Colts at 25-35. They had 21 first downs to 14. They had 68 plays to 54. 340 yards to 264. They had three points in the red zone. Three total points in the red zone. Could not do anything when they got down in the red zone today, which is just a complete joke. They cannot do... It just... Everything seems difficult to them. Even going back to this. There was one play in this game. And I believe it was in the third quarter when Mac went to hand the ball off to Zeke and he turned the wrong way or Zeke went the wrong. I I don't know who was wrong, but how does that shit happen? Like comical. Yeah. We're in week 10 and these type of mistakes are happening. No, I mean, and one thing that was interesting that James White was saying about that, about, you know, the mistakes they like feed off it themselves. Like uh, the, the all out uh, punt block. He's like, well, the offense can't move the ball. So it's like they, it's like they get like desperate, you know, and it makes them make yeah. even more mistakes. And it's just uh, one thing leads to another. And yeah, I mean, there's it's sometimes hard to parse through all the the things that go wrong with this team. But uh, like you said, it it does make you shake your head. And I can't believe we're here with Bill Belichick of all people. Yeah, and then the other thing is just the weird Jack Jones situation continues yeah. where he wasn't on the field to start the game. J.C. Jackson too. Yeah, and then um, yeah, J.C. Jackson didn't even make the trip, but. Yeah. Miles Bryant on the first series of the game gives up a 30-yard reception to McKenzie. And I'm not saying that would have been definitely Jack Jones's matchup, but you're thinking, okay, well, where's the Jack Jones guy? He's supposed to be decent. Something's going on with him, as we all know, where him and apparently him and J.C. Jackson missed curfew last time out. I don't know why J.C. was able to travel and not Jack Jones. Maybe there's even something else going on right. with the whole situation with J.C. Jackson and the Jack Jones thing. It's just been a weird season for him in general. It's, it's like even like the simple stuff, like, yeah. Everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction. It's a good locker. Like that stuff doesn't even seem to be true anymore. And I get it. Like when you're two and seven, guys probably don't want to show up to work every day. And now big thing going forward is how do they embrace Bailey Zappi as their quarterback? Because I just, there's no coming back from this if you're Mac. There's no way that you can bench your starting quarterback because that was an important series. Like you had a chance to try to win the game and you didn't play Mac Jones. There's no way you can go back to that guy. At least give Zappi an opportunity to see if he can be better than Mac Jones, because Mac is playing like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, if you look at it from an EPA per play angle on this, the only guys that are worse than him this year, Bryce Young, a rookie who stinks, and (laughs) that may go down as one of the worst trades in NFL history. 
right. because not only did you trade away your first round pick, but CJ Stroud went after him. And CJ totally. Stroud is already looking like a top seven-ish quarterback in the NFL. So that guy, Zach Wilson, and Daniel Jones. Those are the three quarterbacks that are worse than Mac on an EPA per play Jesus. perspective, or in, in an EPA per play perspective. So have to play Bailey Zappi. Even if he like if he's worse, well shit. You got the worst one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. It. What's the difference? You gotta you gotta try something different. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, I, I get he makes bad decisions and he, you know, is shorter, gets the ball batted down, but he does throw it just harder. His velocity is noticeably better than Mac Jones. You know, you saw it on a couple, he, he, I mean, he had like two third down conversions before he threw the interception. He at least zips the ball in there. But um, I, I'm down. I mean, obviously, we're all sick of watching Mac Jones. I don't blame him entirely. Like you've said, Bill O'Brien hasn't helped him out, but I think it's officially over. I think on November 12th, 2023. The Mac Jones era is over, sadly. You're calling it. This was the day. It's over. It's over. It's got to be. But I think in terms of the tanking, too, next the week after the bye is going to be. That's a that's a real test, Brian. Giants pass. Is, who is going to win or who is going to lose? Yeah, that is like the ultimate tank game. The Giants are so bad, man. I think that's going to be. That, they're going to have difficulties losing that game. I know. I really That's going to be a big one. If we if we manage to lose that game, though, that honestly is going to be a big deal in terms of our jab position. Yeah. I imagine that, that, that head-to-head is a key tiebreaker, right, between the Giants oh, and Oh, certainly, yeah. If they're tied and they played head-to-head, they go in front of it. But that is going to be a really difficult one to lose that one because, <laughs> like, this one was actually, if you think about today's um, matchup, that was actually a difficult one as well, right? Like, yeah. As we mentioned, like Gardner Minshew, and that's why I said did this thing on Thursday on the pod where I said essentially like, look across the way. That's your quarterback, right? <laughs> that's what Mac Jones looks like, except maybe a little bit less athletic than Gardner Minshew. But yeah, right now, so the Patriots, because uh, the Giant, like we're recording right up to the Patriots. The Patriots are two and eight. The Giants are two and seven. So that's going to be a massive game. And then of course you have Arizona and Carolina. Carolina's pick, as we mentioned, obviously goes to. Chicago and Carolina already lost, so they're one they of look one terrible. Of, Jesus, yeah, I just they want to win, they just can't. They're just I so know. bad. I mean, terrible. they came into the season. Their number one option at the receiver position is Adam Thielen, who like Minnesota didn't even want anymore. Yeah, it's incredible. They traded DJ Moore. Like, if you're trying to help a young quarterback, why would you trade away your best receiver? And then Arizona, like now, and look, by the time you listen to this, Arizona will have already played. But that's <laughs> like a wild card for me the rest of the season to see yeah, what they Murray, can actually do. For sure. Yeah. That's a weird one. So we'll see what Kyler Murray can do the rest of the season. But yeah, the Giants is the huge tankathon game. They look to, I mean, like, yeah, we'll, we'll see if we can manage both, that game. Both fan bases are going to be cheering against their team. <laughs> the, the sad part is, even though it's a tankathon, you know Dayball and Belichick are both going to try to win that game. Yeah, well, hey, if Bill tries to win like he did this week, sending everybody <laughs> on a punt, yeah, may end up seriously. losing it anyway. Not to oh, say the Giants gosh. are well coached at this particular point in time, but yeah. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man. Brian, thank you. All right, coming up next, I do want to get into some Celts after back-to-back wins over the weekend. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes 
you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome back into Off the Pike. So I do want to move to one of the good teams in town, and that's the Celtics. After back-to-back losses to Minnesota and Philadelphia, they respond in a major way, beating the Nets easily and then demolishing the Raptors on Saturday night. So some good signs in those two games. But before I get to that, how about the controversy Saturday night? So you have basically, some of you may have shut this off because... It was a blowout basically at the start of the fourth quarter. The game was over essentially like a minute, not even a minute into the fourth quarter. The game was over during the third quarter, but the Celtics are up 27 points in the fourth quarter at one point. And so they challenge an out of bounds call, which they did win the challenge, right? The Celtics win the challenge. So as they challenge this, Joe Mazzulla challenges this play. The Raptors bench is pissed. They start chirping at Joe Mazzulla. And Missoula starts chirping back. Dennis Schroeder was one of the leaders of this, by the way. So Dennis Schroeder, after the game, told the Globe, quote, up 30, you're not supposed to challenge nothing. There's three minutes left. You shouldn't disrespect us like that. Joe Missoula says, with three and a half minutes to go, and you have a group of guys that check in, they're playing as hard as they can. I think it's my responsibility to my players first. It was a clear opportunity for me to empower the players, let, let them know that I'm coaching you, and those minutes to me are just as important as the start of the game. That's what I told my players. I'll put them first. Okay, so look, I have to be honest with this. I'm pretty surprised they challenged that call when it was such a lopsided game. I am surprised they did that, right? And Missoula's point about letting the players know he was putting them first and let them know he was coaching them. I get the idea. I get what Joe's saying there. But at the same time... Nobody would have remembered that if you just didn't challenge it, right? Like, nobody would have thought anything of that. Like, I get you're helping the bench guys by challenging that in a 30-point game. I get it. They're playing hard and all that. I just feel like you're up 30. Do you really need to do that? Especially, do you really need to extend the game at that point? Like, you're playing back-to-back nights. You're blowing this team out. Do you really need the review? So, I wouldn't have done it personally. The game has to stop, and we know, and this is not Joe's fault, but the reviews take forever to begin with. I just wouldn't challenge that when you're kicking the other team's ass like that, that late in the game. You don't need to challenge up 27 to show your players that it's just as important as the start of the game, which I get what Joe's saying there, but it's really not. (laughs) Those minutes are not as important as the start of the game because a lot of those guys, most of them, will not be playing big minutes throughout the season and in the playoffs. Like, okay, Pritchard was out there. He's going to play big minutes, but like Banton was out there. Brissett's going to get minutes. Cornette is not going to get big minutes in a playoff game, right? So, like, you really you really didn't need to do it. It's really not as important as the start of the game. I get what he's trying to say, but, like, his whole idea of, hey, I'm coaching my guys, it's a little bit too much for me at that point during the game. So, personally, I wouldn't have done it, right? Those guys are going to play hard no matter what. They're not going to play harder, or they're not going to feel like you have their back more because you made that challenge, right? So, I just wouldn't have done it personally. I did think that the Raptors, they look a little weak for the amount of complaining they did about it, right? Where Dennis Schroeder's making the comments after the game. They're going after Missoula, like talking to him, talking to the Celtics, like during that thing. This is what I'd say to the Raptors on this, even though from from my perspective, as I mentioned, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have challenged it like Joe did. If you don't want this to happen, if you don't want this shit to happen, if you're the Raptors, don't get blown out. 
play better, right? <laughs> the Celtics were on the second side of a back-to-back. You hadn't played since Wednesday, and you got beat by 30. So that should be your bigger issue here than even though I disagree with Joe Mazzulla's decision, that should be your bigger issue than Joe Mazzulla. Like that to me is just basically you're ignoring the bigger story here on your team. Your issue is you got run out of the gym, okay? So that should be their concern, not what Joe Mazzulla is doing. Even if I don't agree with Joe Mazzulla, what he's doing, play better, okay? And this shit won't happen to you. Anyway, so the bigger issue, so like I said, I wouldn't have done what Joe Mazzulla did, but I, I don't have like a massive problem with it. I just wouldn't have done it. I, I don't think that most coaches in the NBA, I don't think they would have done what Joe Mazzulla did. That's my point. I, I wouldn't have done it. I don't think most coaches in the NBA would have done it. The bigger issue I had with Missoula in this game, and look, this is a very good weekend for the Celtics, and I'll get into some real positive signs in just a second here, but the one issue I had in this game, so OG Ananobi and Jakob Pertl come out of the game when it's 96 to 71 with nine minutes left. So the rest of their starters, Scotty Barnes was already out after the third quarter. He didn't come back in in the fourth. Dennis Schroeder didn't come back in the fourth, and Pascal Siakam didn't come back in for the fourth, Okay. So when he takes Ananobi out and he takes Jakob Pertl out, he, of course, I'm talking about the Raptors, what they do there, they threw up the white flag, right? They said, we're done, this game is over. So nine minutes left in the game, the Raptors are done. You can argue whether or not that's soft on the Raptors side, like giving up that early in the game, but they did, they gave up. They said, white flag. Ordinarily, that's when you take your guys out, right? So Tatum didn't come out of the game and Jalen didn't come out of the game until there was four minutes and 47 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So when Tatum and Jalen came out of the game, it's 111 to 81. And as I mentioned, no Raptors starter played after the nine minute mark. All those guys were on the bench for the rest of the game. So that's why I just look at the situation. Why are Tatum and Jalen in there until there's four minutes and 47 seconds left when it's the second night of a back-to-back and you're winning by 30. They're out there. They were playing at the best two players on the Celtics, Tatum and Jalen Brown, were playing against Grady Dick, a rookie, Malachi Flynn, Chris Boucher, Jalen McDaniels, and Precious Achua. That's who they were playing against, up 30. Like, only bad things can happen there, like some sort of injury or something along those lines. And even this, like, this is a long season. Tatum played 34 minutes in a game that you won by 30. Their best player played 29, okay? And so Tatum played five more minutes than their best player. Jalen Brown played 32 minutes. Their second best player, I guess it's either OG or Siakam, however you want to agree. I, I would prefer OG just because Siakam's not a number one on a good team and OG's like the perfect guy to play on a good team because he's an elite wing defender, one of the best in the league and he can shoot. But anyway, so anyway, depending on how you dissect it, they were both at 28. So Jalen played four more minutes than their second best players, if you will, depending on how you grade those. So Tatum five more than their best and Jalen four more than their next two guys on their team. So look, I get it. Tatum's an Iron Man, and Jalen has been pretty durable. He's had some odd injuries. Like remember last year, the whole plant situation, but second night of a back to back. Why, why are you waiting to get these guys out of the game until 447 left? And hell, maybe that was part of the reason the Raptors are so pissed too about the challenges. Like, why are your starters still out there as well? Maybe that's part of it because like they were putting on a highlight film at the end of the game, Tatum throwing Jalen alley-oops and all that. So I just, I personally don't understand the upside of Jason Tatum playing 34 minutes in a game you won by 30. It's a long season. So that to me was the bigger concern to me about Missoula than the challenge. I mean, I like I said, I wouldn't have done the challenge, but that to me is 
I mean, you got to be thinking about the finish line here. The goal for this team is to win the NBA championship after you were very close two years ago. And last year, you were one way, uh, one win away from getting there. You shouldn't be putting 34 minutes on a guy in a game that you're winning by 30. It just, to me, doesn't make sense. So anyway, I, <laughs> in a game that you won by 30, there shouldn't be much drama. But I thought it was a bizarre Joe Missoula night. And this is coming off a bizarre week for Joe after that whole back and forth we talked about with Gary Washburn about the threes. Just a weird Joe Missoula week. Okay, so I did want to mention this. The, St- the Celtics starting five. So seven games they've played together because, of course, Derek White missed two due to the birth of his child. In those minutes, the Celtics starting five is a 127.9 offensive rating, an 86.9 defensive rating. That's a 41 net rating. So they're outscoring teams by 41 points per 100 possessions. Their overall, just their raw plus minus is plus 102. The closest five-man unit to that plus 102 is the Nuggets of KCP, Gordon, Jokic, Porter, and Reggie Jackson because Murray's been out. At plus 78. The Celtics are at 102. So they're 24 points better than the second best starting five. And I get it, no Murray, but still, that's impressive. But no other five-man unit besides that that Nuggets group, which has the best player in the NBA in Jokic, is north of 50 entering play on Sunday. So that's how good the Celtics starting five has been. So watching these games on Friday and Saturday, and I get it, like there were some injuries in these games. Like Claxton didn't play for the Nets again. Cam Thomas didn't play for the Nets. So I get all that. But the thing that jumped out to me is to beat the Celtics, and we saw it already twice this year, as we mentioned, but to beat the Celtics, you have to be big like we saw with the Wolves or like 85% of where they are from a talent perspective, like the Sixers with Embiid and Maxi, where Embiid was the best player on the floor in that game and Maxi was really good too. Because the Celtics, they are going to blow out inferior competition because this five-man group is just so talented, right? Like, first of all, you think about the Raptors game. Porzingis goes for 21. He's 9 of 14. He hit three threes. But the problem for the Raptors is this, and this is where it's just sort of unfair for normal opponents against the Celtics outside the elite of the elites. And I think Minnesota's a really good team. Denver, obviously. Philly's really good. But outside of the elite of the elite, the reason it's so difficult is the Raptors. They have really good perimeter defenders. OJ Ananobi, who we mentioned earlier. Scotty Barnes is just big. Siakam is big and long, right? So on paper, this should be a good defensive team, okay? And a good matchup against the Celtics. But here's the problem, and here's where the difference is compared to last season, right? The Celtics, they can just have Porzingis screening and picking and popping, right? So even if he's not rolling, which he did that a bit in that game on Saturday, he's also, the biggest thing to him is the spacing, right? Where he can space the court. So what the Celtics did because of that spacing, they took 25 shots in the restricted area, and they made 19 of those shots. That's 76%. No team shoots better than 72.3% in the restricted area this season entering play Sunday. And it's because they're getting straight line drives to the basket, right? So the Celtics had 60 points in the paint in that game against Toronto. Only one team is north of 60 this year. That's it. One team in the entire NBA. So the reason that number is so high, despite good perimeter defenders, right? Like, they should be able to stop you from getting to the paint if the Raptors, the Scotty Barneses, the Siakams, the OG Ananobis. But the problem is, when you're using Porzingis as a screener, it's very difficult for those guys to recover. And the problem is, if Porzingis is the screener, well, guess who's on Porzingis? The opposing big man. So you have no protection at the rim whatsoever. So that's why when we talk about Porzingis, just his overall size at seven foot two and his ability to shoot just opens up so many driving lanes. For this team, like there was one play in this game where 
Jalen basically threw the ball to Porzingis, and then he was basically almost at the hash mark. He threw the ball to Porzingis at the wing, and he ran like he was going to get a handoff from Porzingis. Couldn't get the handoff, so he just kept going. And Porzingis is just holding the ball over his head. And since Jalen has the advantage because he was trying to get a handoff, he has his defender sort of at his back. He just runs all the way to the basket. There's nobody in the paint because you have shooters in each corner. Porzingis just throws the ball to Jalen. Jalen gets an easy dunk out of it, right? That's the type of offense you can create because of Porzingis. So Jalen in this game has 18 points in the paint. And this is why I thought that Porzingis could really help Jalen this year just because those driving lanes are going to be so open and you wouldn't have these issues as it pertains to the turnovers like we've seen in recent years with Jalen. And by the way, Tatum has 12 points in the paint in that game. Porzingis has 12 himself. So Jalen this season is at just 8.9 points per game in the paint, which is 48th. Post-All-Star break last year, where Jalen really took off, he was fourth at 15.5. And those last three games against the Hawks, where Jalen was great in the Hawks series, 52 points in the paint, that's 17.3 per game. So in those, in those games, 31, 35, 32, this is what you want to see, what we saw on Saturday. Jalen getting downhill, Jalen getting out in transition, Jalen getting easy opportunities at the basket, right? So I think that the Celtics now going forward, they should stick with this Jalen Porzingis duo, if you will, when Tatum's not on the court. So on the season, here's the thing. Those numbers are shockingly bad with those two guys on the court together when Tatum's not on the court. So basically, when you have Jalen Brown, Kristaps Porzingis on the court together without Jason Tatum, they have a minus 12.7 net rating. Okay, just a 109.5 offensive rating. So this shouldn't be like this, right? When you think about it, like they shouldn't be bad offensively with those two guys on the court together. Now, if you keep them out there with Derek White, so if you say, hey, Jalen, Kristaps Porzingis, Derek White, and then no Jason Tatum, that jumps to a 5.19 net rating and a 120 offensive rating. So you have an elite offense when you just have that pairing of, or the, the trio, Jalen Brown, Derek White, and Kristaps Porzingis. So I would keep that trio together, keep basically Tatum and Drew together. Drew's just been awesome, man. I have so much fun watching that guy play. But because the Jalen Porzingis pairing looks so good on Saturday night and some of the stuff they did, I just think they should keep that group together. Even though the numbers aren't great to start the season, you got to keep trying with that because I do think that that's sort of the solution of the Jalen minutes being good in the non-Jason Tatum minutes. Keep Porzingis out there. Keep White out there as well. Oh, real, real quickly on Tatum. He's now near 50-40 splits through his first nine games. 81 of 171 from the floor, 52%. Career highs, 47.5%. And he did that as a rookie where he's not the center of attention like he is now. And his three-point percentage, 30 of 76, 39.5%. So Tatum now after that game on Saturday night, he's a plus 42. He's a plus 166 for the season. Drew Holiday is second in the NBA at plus 11. So... Tatum is 55 points better than the guy that's in second, the guy on his own team, which is just remarkable <laughs> how that plus minus is right now. His impact numbers via cleaning the glass, 124.3 offensive rating with Tatum on the court, 99.7 defensive rating with Tatum on the court via cleaning the glass. That is a 24.6 net, which is in the 100th percentile. <laughs> and then the Celts are 21.9 points per 100 better with Tatum on offense, 99th percentile, 19.4 points per 100 better on defense, 99th percentile. So the on-off differential is 41.3. That's in the 100th percentile via cleaning the glass. 
on-off numbers. Now, that shouldn't be that staggering like it is. Now, Tatum's always been great in the on-off numbers, but you'd like that to be better considering this team is deeper than it was in previous seasons. But remarkable to see the impact that Tatum's having once again. So the Tatum numbers are awesome. Shooting has been huge. He's also jumped six percentage points at the rim from 70 up to 76. I think partially some of that is, yeah, more open opportunities to the lane with Porzingis. But a lot of that is more about Tatum, where he's overpowering smaller defenders and he's backing guys down more. So I think that is more credit to Tatum than it is about Porzingis. I give Porzingis a lot of credit. Like he's opened up a ton of things. I think this is more about the physical maturation process, if you will, of Jason Tatum. Okay, so the one thing I'll say though, now it's about going forward with Tatum. He's having an outstanding season. We all know this. The team is seven and two. But the two super superstars that Tatum has played this season, Joel Embiid, Anthony Edwards, they both outplayed Tatum. So you have to outplay Embiid on Wednesday night. Remember, he only took the 14 shots against Philly. He's got to outplay Embiid. And then Giannis in two weeks, although <laughs> that Milwaukee team is in real trouble right now. They have not been good whatsoever. They have been actually like really bad. They have one of the worst defenses in the NBA. So, so those matchups are what I'm looking for now because I do think Tatum's taken another, another step forward. I want to see what he does against the Embiid's what he does against the Giannis is not that those are direct one-on-one matchups, but I think we'd all agree that Tatum has the better supporting cast than Embiid, even though I like what Philly's done, and the better supporting cast than Giannis, so I want to see Tatum outplay these guys in big games. Okay, Pritchard, we called for it. We had three straight scoreless games out of Pritchard. We needed to see him do something. Friday night, he was really good, where he had, what, the 13 points on 5 of 10 shooting. He played solid, or I should say, that was the Friday night game against the Nets. He was solid against the Raptors as well. And in that Nets game, he gives you five rebounds. He gives you three assists as well. He was all over the place. He does a great job on the offensive boards, just challenging defensive players, going after rebounds. He kind of like sneaks around people. He'll be like at the wing, then he'll dip into the corner, and then he'll just shoot out of nowhere. I think he's done a good job defensively as well, where he pressures up on guards, which is definitely something that irritates opposing guards. I think nice to see Pritchard bounce back because we had a three-game stretch where he, he couldn't hit a shot. I mean, he went more than a week without hitting a shot in the NBA, which is difficult to do. So that's a nice thing to see. The big development for me, though, is Hauser. He's scorching. So if you take the last six games, 21 of 38, that's 55.3%. So the 21 makes in his last six, that's tied for the six most in the NBA during that stretch over the last six games. He's tied for six in terms of made threes at 21. And the other guys in front of him on this list, all of them have played at least 45 minutes other than him, right? All these other guys have played at least 45 minutes, and he's way down in terms of the minutes. So of the players that have taken at least 35 threes over the last six games, only Grayson Allen has a higher three-point percentage. So look, this is why you stick with Hauser. And this is where I give Joe Mazzulla credit. Like I was talking the other day, give Mikai Luke a look, give Brissett more opportunities. But if he's hitting consistently like he is right now, and if he can keep it up to north of 40% for the season, this is a real weapon, especially considering the fact that we all know how much shooting this team, or excuse me, how many star players and playmakers this team has overall. It's just huge if you get this level of shooting from a guy like Sam Hauser. All right, so overall, definitely a positive weekend for the Celtics after they bounce back after the difficult two losses or spawn with big wins over the Nets and over the Raptors. And you may say, hey, Brian, they're supposed to beat these teams. Yeah, that's the point. You want them to be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. You want them to have home court throughout the playoffs. You can't have the losses you had a season ago. So I like this. This shows maturity for this team. And I really do think 
it's going to be really difficult for inferior teams to beat the Celtics, like teams that are close to their level, right? Like they're a better team than Minnesota, but Minnesota is a really good team. The 76ers, they're a really good team, even if they're not as talented as the Celtics, right? When they play a team like the Golden State Warriors, right? When, of course, when they play the reigning defending NBA champs, the Denver Nuggets, like those games, yeah, you could certainly lose those. I just think comparing this team to last year, as long as everybody or most of the guys are in the lineup, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for this team to lose to inferior teams just because the margin of error is just so wide for this team, right? It's like, okay, if Tatum's not playing well, which Tatum has really played well in every game except really Philly, and that I thought was more of an aggressiveness thing more than anything else, they just have so many weapons they can go to. They can go to Tatum doing his thing. If Jalen gets hot like he was the past two games, right? Drew Holiday, hey, if you need to, he can take his smaller defender into the post and score, right? We know that Derek White can heat up, and we know Porzingis has had a couple of big games this season as well. I just feel like they have so many weapons where it's going to be much easier for them to lose to inferior opponents this year compared to last year. And I do think the overall attitude of the team is a lot better than it was a season ago, and you would expect that. Last year, they came into the year with all that controversy going on within the organization with the EMA stuff. All right, just an update on this week. We're going to record Monday night and Wednesday because the Patriots, of course, on their bye week. So we'll record Monday night after the Celtics and the Knicks, and then we'll record on Wednesday night after the rematch, baby, Celtics and 76ers. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.